do the emotional processing. I want to do the stress management. I want to do whatever it is I need to do. And they're walking away in their own assessments with their symptoms either completely gone or greatly, greatly reduced across the board. And not just in a physical sense, right? I mean, I find with the work that I do that this is empowering women to stand up for themselves at work, to create boundaries with their partners, to raise children in a way that feels empowering for them. Like there's all these different ways it impacts. I mean, that's where I would say I see the difference. What's up, lovely ladies? Dr. Emily Kybert here with Thyroid Strong Podcast. I am a chiropractor, a mama to Elvis in Brooklyn, and I have Hashimoto's, but it's currently in remission. On this podcast, I share simple, actionable steps with a little bit of tough love on how to lose that stubborn weight, get your energy and your life back, and finally learn how to work out without burning out, living with Hashimoto's. Today, we have Sophie Shepard on the podcast, founder of She Talks Health and She Talks Health podcast. She is a women's hormone and gut health coach whose mission is to revolutionize the way women claim their hormones as superpowers and slay those old stories of being in sick bodies. She's a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She helps educate and empower women around the globe to transform their hormones and gut health. Through a combination of root cause diagnostic testing, you know we love that here on Thyroid Strong, nutrition and lifestyle science so they can finally have straightforward answers to their most mystifying symptoms and get their lives back. Sophie Shepard of She Talks Health, welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. So wonderful to have you, a fellow New Yorker. (laughs) <laughs> Moved to Colorado just like me for a better life. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, we are so similar in that way. I feel like we have Hashimoto's. We both moved from New York. Now we live in Colorado. <laughs> I know. It's like parallel lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's probably why we're friends. <laughs> so everyone who chooses this podcast has some thyroid disease, probably has Hashimoto's, the autoimmune component, and you are a fellow Hashi girl. So I would love for you to share your journey in a nutshell. And then now you work with women with autoimmune conditions, more than just Hashimoto's, but you do have a Hashimoto's audience as well. I do. Yeah. I think, you know, when you go through it and you're able to, for the most part, kind of reverse it or live a life without symptoms, people are like, how did you do that? (laughs) So hopefully I can share some wisdom today. Yeah. I mean, my journey, I think it's interesting. Like I hear so many Hashi's journeys and like some of them are very similar, but we all have our unique soup that turned on the Hashimoto's (laughs) in our bodies. So For me, just like a backstory, I got diagnosed almost 10 years ago now. So I'm 32, about to be 33. I was diagnosed in 2013. And prior to that, like the lead up to that was irritable bowel syndrome, you know, endoscopies, colonoscopies, age 16, being poked and prodded, being told, oh, nothing's wrong. You just have IBS. Just take a proton pump inhibitor, you know, lower that stomach acid, right? Because of course, that's what they think is better. But we can talk about that's probably a whole other podcast about digestive health. And I just was like, so sick, you know, all through high school, all through college. And then I would say that was like the breeding ground, right? Because we know how much gut health will impact Hashimoto's. But then I had a very severe trigger, which was I had a very abusive, verbally abusive and emotionally abusive partner that I was living with. So on a daily basis, that amount of stress and trauma being thrown at me, 
I just didn't have any coping skills. I didn't know how to get out of the relationship. I didn't know anything about that. Like I had no idea what to do. And so I think the compound of that stress with the physical stress of the gut just toppled me over. And I remember I started having all the classic Hashimoto symptoms. Like my hair was pooling at the bottom of the shower. My mom was like, your hair is everywhere. Why is your hair everywhere? I had gained like, I think slowly I had gained some weight. Like I think I was 155 or 160 and I'm 5'7". So it's a little heavier than where I'd want to be. I feel best at like 125, 130. Hmm. And so that was starting to show up too. But the biggest thing was just like the debilitating fatigue and the brain fog. I just couldn't remember anything. It didn't matter how much I slept. I was still exhausted to the point where like I honestly was struggling to work and hold up my life. And I was just moved to New York and was trying to make it on Broadway as a stage manager and was like doing these crazy hours, which is also really stressful. And it was just, oh, this is not a good mix for Hashimoto's. But I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I was really depressed as well. Well, it's also quite a young age compared to the average age of getting diagnosed, right? Normal is like perimenopause, menopause, but you were getting diagnosed in your 20s. Yeah, it was way early. I felt like I was 80 years old. And that was actually one of the reasons I decided to keep looking for somebody who would help me was because I was like, there's no way I'm supposed to feel like this in my early 20s. It's like, like, I'm not even 30. 30 is like, you're getting old. (laughs) (laughs) No, 32. But yeah, I mean, I was really young and I living in New York City and you're you're 22, like all you want to do is go out and have fun. But here I was unable to even just do life. I mean, it was just everything had come to like a kind of a screeching halt. So you were seeing probably gastroenterologists for the stomach stuff. Um, Were you seeing other health practitioners? Yes. I was, of course, told this is all in your head and you should just take an antidepressant. Old line. (laughs) Was told that one. So I believed them. You know, after a while, you just kind of like, okay, I, yeah, sure. Like it's got to be the antidepressant. I was seeing an GYN because, of course, I was also prescribed birth control for my cramps instead of getting to the root cause of all of that. So I had a couple of different people. But when I went to my primary care and was like, hey, like, I'm really, really depressed. Like, I'm having suicidal ideation. I'm My hair is falling out. I'm overweight. Like, all this stuff, different stuff that she was the one that said, oh, it's probably just in your head. And I was like, okay you're going to run some blood work though. Like I remember standing up for myself and being like, but there's something wrong. And I remember she called me and diagnosed me with hypothyroidism, not Hashimoto's because she didn't have the whole panel. That was a whole other journey. But I was so elated. I was like jumping up and down on the mattress. Oh my gosh, I have a diagnosis. Oh my gosh, it's not in my head. Oh my gosh, there's something we can do about it. Like I kind of blocked out the part where she's like, you're going to have this forever and you have to take this medication forever. Then of course, once I realized that, that was like when the real journey started. Do you remember at that time of diagnosis what, because I'm assuming she tested TSH. Do you remember what that number was? You know what? I don't remember what it was, but I know it wasn't so bad. It was like somewhere between six and 10. It wasn't like, I was with my friend Ryan Monahan yesterday and we were talking about his Hashi's journey. And he was like, yeah, when I got diagnosed, my TSH was above 150 and my doctor said you should be dead. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think it was like that bad. I think it was like a 10 or something, which is still awful. You still feel terrible. I remember getting diagnosed. Mine was creeping up towards three, which is very close to optimal. Still within the conventional normal. And I felt like I lived on my couch because I was so tired. So I just talked to a woman who was 140 after her meds got changed. I was like, how are you living? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I know. That's insane. But I mean, the good news is there's so much we know that we can do to re- at least reverse symptoms, if not completely reverse the autoimmunity. Yeah. And now you work with women with autoimmune conditions. I do. I work mostly, I work with women in their 30s, sometimes 20s, sometimes 60s. It depends on the person. And a lot of Hashimoto's people or hypothyroid people, but also a lot of women who have menstrual cycle issues like PMS, PCOS, fibroids. And then also a lot of gut and mood. Because the part that I didn't really get into is the whole journey with my mental health and my gut, you know, that was a huge part of what fixed the autoimmunity. So what I find is that it's interesting. Like when you're starting a business, what's your niche? And I was like, oh, it's going to be thyroid. And then I realized like all the people that were coming to me, yeah, they may have like an end result of an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's, but before that they had the gut stuff and they had all these other things going on. And so the women I work with have typically have a whole host of symptoms that they're trying to get back in line. Yeah. It's interesting how sometimes our symptoms become an acceptable new norm, right? Having IBS or, you know, having stomach aches or going to the bathroom too frequently, right? Or like having to run to the bathroom or then being constipated and then followed by brain fog. But like, you know, what what's really going on? You know, you don't really label brain fog. You just feel like, oh, like something's off. And if it happens for long enough, it's just like, all right, I guess this is like (laughs) what my 30s look like and what my 40s look like. (laughs) Right? Okay, how sad is this? When I got diagnosed with IBS when I was 16, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is just the way my life is going to be now. Like, I am just going to be the person running to the bathroom or dealing with the smelly gas or (laughs) the reflex or whatever was going on that day. Like, oh, that's just normal. Like, some people have a bad back. I have this. And I mean, I just accepted it. At 16. Like what? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, something even as common as bad breath, right? You and I know like, oh, that's a symptom. But people are like, oh yeah, I just woke up. I haven't brushed my teeth. You're like, uh. (laughs) Actually. No, actually. (laughs) Unless you're doing keto. No. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Unless you're emanating this funk. So I wanted to talk to you because I think you and I both agree that a good practitioner and it's important to find a good one when you're on this Hashi journey, doesn't diagnose you with multiple things and then treat you all at once, right? Because I think some practitioners do that. And I think it's a disservice to the people who are going on this Hashi journey. They've gone to the GP, they've met with their endo, and now they're seeking more, right? And they start to seek more. And next thing you know, they're like, I feel terrible because I'm on like a million supplements versus a good practitioner will create a hierarchy and a framework of what to treat first and really be a partner in their patient's health, taking them on that journey versus this kind of like shotgun approach, which I think maybe a newer practitioner, a practitioner that's not very good at what they do may start. So I know you have a framework for how you approach the work that you do with the Hashi ladies. And I love to kind of dive deep into that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of follow, I guess, the framework that I went through that worked for me, right? Because, you know, if you've gone through it, why not teach it, right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's tough, right? I had a call with somebody on Friday who was like, you know, I I just don't know what the root causes are and I want to get to the bottom of it. And I've tried this and that. And I'm like, okay, so like, we're going to work together, but we're going to work together over several months. And yes, we're going to run several labs, but it's going to be like in a specific order once I get to know you a little bit better and understand what's going on and look at all your entire history and everything you've tried already and then make a plan for you as an individual. So I'll just say 
like I'm going to go through the framework and you're still an individual if you're listening to this. So there might be something bigger. For example, I didn't have mold, but you might have mold, for example. And some would argue that that's like the biggest baddie out there, right? So why would you skip it? But at the same time, we have to always just make sure the person's ready to for like a big detox. So the framework that I like to kind of follow, I mean, we'll start with a couple of things that like, I think are just basic that everyone needs to be doing is sleeping, <laughs> right? Yeah. We have to be sleeping. And then, and I won't go so deep into this because this is your realm, but I think like finding the right movement, because I do find that often what happens is that women with Hashimoto's are overweight. And so they are working out so hard and they're actually burning their adrenals out even more. So I think doing a program like Thyroid Strong Great plan, ladies. Good, great plan. Right, because we, we want our bodies to basically be healing, and we can't do that if we're burned out and we're not we're not sleeping. So those two things aside, they're important, but they're just not the main parts I was going to talk about today, which is basically you want to start, I think, in building your body up and then reducing the source of the inflammation. Like those are the two kind of things you're trying to do, and it's tough because that could be – a lot of things. But in the first step is really foods that build up thyroid health. Like what are the thyroid superfoods? And I just think of that as like a blanket term of like nutrient density, right? So what are the foods that build up the thyroid in general? And then how does that work with your specific body? Because you might have some allergies or things going on that interact there. But the thyroid needs a lot. It's like a nutrient hog. (laughs) It needs iodine. It needs zinc. It needs iron, vitamin E, C, almost all the B vitamins, magnesium. It needs almost everything, (laughs) right? Selenium, right? There's so many different things it needs. So in order for us to even create thyroid hormone, we need all those nutrients, right? Yeah. And then we need to be able to digest and absorb them. I think it's so important, right? Because here we have this like bougie, basically gland that's <laughs> metabolically expensive. <laughs> and I love that term. It's metabolically expensive. <laughs> sometimes, especially with like social media being like, eat these foods. It's like, yeah, you can eat those foods and they have these vitamins and minerals, but that doesn't mean you're absorbing them necessarily if your gut's off, right? You know, you do have to kind of find the balance. And I think everyone's a little different too, because some people are like, they're like resources themselves and they want to get to the answer. So I think I like to combine the nutrition part with the gut health part at the beginning, because you'd be shocked, shocked (laughs) how many people I work with who have been to all these practitioners and no one's looked at their gut. Wait a second. We know that Blasto, Candida, H. pylori, leaky gut, all indicated in Hashimoto's diagnosis. They can be linked. They can be a causal factor. I think we want to do the combination. And then I think about like nutrient density, just going back to that, finishing that thought, you have to think about bioavailability. And so like there's all these grains and legumes and seeds and nuts, and those can be chock full of nutrients. But if you can't access them, then it's not helpful. So some people find it impossible to digest these foods and have to remove them completely. Some people have to soak or sprout their grains and legumes and seeds and nuts. But in general, I think most of my clients do really well with with like wild caught seafood, cooked cruciferous vegetables. We don't want to do that raw grass fed red meat, anything that has lots of zinc. If you tolerate eggs, they can be a superfood. They're also sometimes a huge sensitivity a little bit of sea vegetable in there, you know, a little nori, a little kelp in there. Brazil nuts are, are, you know, a great source of selenium. There's just different foods that you can try on. And then if you're like me, you might have to do more of an elimination diet at first to kind of calm down the immune system. You know, I see a lot of people who are like, 
only plant-based and they're not absorbing the nutrients when we look at the labs. So then we have to have that conversation. It's a big it's one. It's challenging being plant-based, I think. I mean, it's challenging. I was, yeah, it's challenging to get all the nutrients you need. Yeah. Um, without being on like a bajillion supplements, like you said earlier. And it can be really challenging. Some people do really well on it. I wouldn't say I've had a lot of thyroid people do well on a plant-based diet though. Yeah. Why do you think that is? If you look at just like tyrosine is a, like a necessary reason, <laughs> B12, there's certain nutrients that are extremely hard, if not impossible to really get from plants. And and you can get some, but maybe just not as body's ability to get them and, and uptake them. I also think if you looked at the genetics of like most people with Hashimoto's, you might find that they have some issues with detoxification. And we know detoxification is dependent on, you know, for example, <laughs> the methylation cycle. My MTHFR is so messed up genetically. And so we know that different ways to get that can be through different foods. And it's just challenging. I don't know. And I think maybe the other reason why it's challenging is, like we said earlier, like sometimes seeds and nuts and grains are really tough on the lining of the gut. I mean, there's some people just say you just shouldn't have it at all because it will destroy the lining of the gut and cause leaky gut, which we know is a precursor for autoimmunity. So I think that that could be potentially why it doesn't work sometimes for people with Hashimoto's. Yeah. Do you have clients try an autoimmune paleo approach? How do you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jekyll and Hyde with that question because it works for me really well and very quickly. When I've done it with a person who's mentally ready for it, it has also worked really, really well. So let me, I'm going to tell you two stories. So client story, autoimmune, Hashimoto's, all classic symptoms, everything, right? Her antibodies were over the detectable limit. So the range stopped at like 900 and hers were past that. We have no idea how far past it. <laughs> the lab wouldn't even register it. Now we went through my framework, but we didn't do AIP. We did do gluten-free and dairy-free because those were direct triggers for her. We worked on her gut. We worked on her minerals. We worked on toxins. We worked on mental health, sleep, movement, all the things. So that was in six months. We did all that. Her antibodies dropped by 500 plus points. So she's still at 500, which is way too high, but she's feeling so much better because it's like at least detectable on the lab. So, you know, I said to her, I was like, look, like kind of the next step that we could try from a diet perspective is do AIP. Like, what do you think? It's kind of restrictive. And we talked about it and she was like, no, I feel so good. I'm really motivated. I want to go to the next level. Let's see. I'll try it out and I'll retest. So I haven't gotten her retest back. Her um, endocrinologist is amazing and was actually like, let's see what happens. Like, let's run the test again after you've done, you know, 90 days or so of AIP. But what I can tell you is that her symptoms are resolving rapidly. And this is with somebody who has mold in her system system still. We found mold. So her symptoms are going away just from the nutrition change. So I think that it can be a really powerful tool. I think it has to be thought of as a therapy. I think for most people, they find it really hard to stay on it. So we have to just mentally be like, where's this person at? Because I do get a lot of women who have like binge eating disorder or they have a history of eating disorders. So we just have to be really careful when we're talking about removing a whole bunch of food groups that this isn't going to impact the person's mental health. So for me, that's like really dependent on what's the like positive versus the negative and where are you mentally? How are you feeling? Is it go right into it like I did? Or is it like step into it like my other client did? Just an important point is like we're not meant to be on AIP forever, right? No, that's yeah. another really big one that I see people stay on it for too long. And I think it's like, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Like, no, we should be able to eat all these foods. Yeah. Not Maybe not all of them. A lot of them we should be able to consume. 
Yeah. So you're starting to approach nutrient density with gut health kind of at the same time. How are you assessing someone's gut health for people who don't know? Well, I think there's like obviously the symptomology, but then there's also the lab testing. Mm -hmm. So from a symptom perspective, of course, there's reflux and burping and gas and bloating and constipation and diarrhea, right? Those are- Gas isn't normal. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't be stinking up the room every time I walk in. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) So those are what people think gut issues are, right? And then there's like all the other ones, right? Brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, depression, like mental health and gut health are directly linked. So if you're having mental health issues and we haven't looked at the gut, like that's a huge neon sign, you know, for me. Weight loss resistance would be another clue for me that there could be something going on in the gut. Any sort of histamine response, right? Like allergy response would be another um, one. We were just talking about that before we started recording. So like itchy skin, tongue pain, tongue pain, sneezing all the time, your eyes are watery, they're poofy, you know, like you have allergies to something that would be a histamine response. And that's also directly related to the gut. Right. Insomnia, potentially. Parasites like to wake up and party at night. Little jerks. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a whole laundry list of things that are gut-related that I would be, like, looking at and asking a person about. And then uh, I typically will do two weeks of a biofilm buster. Biofilms are the homes that bacteria like to live in. I think of them as the Harry Potter cloaks. <laughs> they put, like, their little, like, cloak over... <laughs> <laughs> the bacteria or the parasite, they're like, ah, I'm going to hide out here. So yeah. I like to do a little bit of that, busting that up if the person's open to taking a supplement, and then do a GI MAPS test. And GI MAPS is a stool test. They do your parasites, they do your worms, bacteria, yeast, and then a lot of intestinal markers, like how well you're digesting proteins and fats, and is there inflammation in the gut and all that kind of stuff. So I like to do kind of both together. I've had maybe like three GI MAPS come back like completely clean. (laughs) Have you found that when people take a biofilm buster that they have reactions and they're like, I haven't even taken the test yet. Like they don't feel good. I mean, I always tell my clients to go super slow with any supplement because we just never know how something's going to react. So I go really slow and usually they don't have a huge reaction, which is good. I mean, I will say, I also sometimes will combine that with like some detox opening support, like castor oil, dry brushing, things like that. If someone appears to be very toxic in their intake, that's definitely, because sometimes we are really backed up. We're like, if you're super constipated and you start taking a biofilm buster, you could probably have reactions. So magnesium, castor oil packs, whatever is going to help you go to the bathroom. I haven't had it too often, but we go super slow too. So that might be why. Yeah. And can you speak to why gut health? Because people are like, oh, it's my thyroid. It's this little gland up here. How gut health can actually affect the thyroid. Okay, so your thyroid didn't just stop working one day. There was a reason, probably multiple reasons, right? I think about mine and I'm like, oh, hmm, metals, stress, leaky gut, everything, right? So the balance of your bacteria is really important for your overall health, your mental health, everything, but especially... In, since we're talking about thyroid health, you're, so a couple of different things are going on. So your T4, um, your inactive thyroid hormone converts to T3 mostly in the liver and in the gut. And so 20% of T4 is converted to T3 inside the gut. So if the gut microbes are imbalanced or there's an overgrowth of a harmful bacteria or pathogen, the process of this conversion that happens in the gut from the gut microbes could be disrupted. That's one. (laughs) Two. (laughs) We talked about how the thyroid is, what did you call it? A metabolic... I called it like a bougie, metabolically expensive organ. (laughs) It's a 
metabolically expensive. I think one of the ways that the thyroid is so metabolically expensive is that it needs all these nutrients. So it's not what you eat, but it's how well you digest and absorb, right? So then where do we absorb our nutrients? Oh, also in our gut, right? And so if we have an issue with absorption, we're not going to get the nutrients we need to build and convert and transport thyroid hormone. And then the third part is the leaky gut. And the leaky gut, I think of leaky gut... I don't know if this was ever explained to me like this or if I just decided to make this analogy in my head, but I, I think of it as saran wrap. Like it's so thin. It's only, you know, your, your the lining of your gut is only one cell thick, right? We hear that all the time in, in the functional medicine world. So I think of it as saran wrap. And then I think of like gluten and pesticides and chemicals from the metals that are in our water and everything that we're coming in contact with as like little tiny toothpicks in your saran wrap, right? And they're like constantly puncturing holes. And so then you go about your day and you're like eating a piece of kale and the kale isn't digested properly and it seeps through one of the holes. And all of a sudden your immune system's like, what is this thing doing in here? I don't recognize it. And it just starts attacking this poor piece of kale and you end up with all these food sensitivities. And so we know that when, when you have leaky gut, we have widespread inflammation, we have loss of tolerance to food, we have loss of tolerance to self, which is autoimmunity and Hashimoto's. We can have all these kind of like systemic inflammatory processes go on because the macrophages, the B cells, everything is right there. And so skipping the gut, it's like you've missed the whole point, I think, with thyroid health. You have to do gut work first. Yeah, I love that. I love the analogy, by the way, because I've never thought about it that way. Do you want to talk about stress? Because I feel like that was a big piece in your story. Yes, I do. So when I think of stress, I think of showing up in different ways, right? So I think of fight, flight, fawn. I think of tending and befriending like us women sitting around and moaning about things. And then I think about showing up with courage and like taking action and going the next step. But when the stressor is constant right? And it's not just a little dose. And then you're having brain fog and you can't process things. And maybe you used to show up with courage, but now you show up with just like freeze. You know, how have you found that stress plays a role in working with your Hashi ladies? It's like the number one thing no one wants to talk about and the number one thing causing all the issues, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I believe that I would say nutrition, stress, and gut are all like equally important to the thyroid journey, but stress is the one that people don't want to deal with. That's the hardest part, right? Like either, oh, I'm not stressed, right? Or yeah, well, my life is just chaos. Like, okay, well, we have to address that. Do you want to feel better, right? And so it's really hard. It's hard for me. I would characterize myself as someone who's like lived the majority of my life in fight or flight. We know that, you know, with fight or flight, we're releasing all these stress hormones and cortisol. And over time, I mean, at first that's okay because cortisol is anti-inflammatory actually. But then over time, we do, we switch into fawn or freeze, which is the part where the stress starts to turn inflammatory in the body, where we see all these autoimmune components pop up. I think we live in a society that is driven from stress. And it's one of the reasons I moved out of New York City was I was like, this vibration is too much for me. Like I'm kind of constantly dealing with everybody else's stress. 
I love that city, but it's too, it was too much for my nervous system. And then we're just never given any tools to manage stress, right? Or how to even interact with it in a healthy way. So we're just like going and going on the hamster wheel and pushing ourselves and pushing ourselves until we literally collapse. I mean, that's what happened with me and I see with every client. So when I work with somebody, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, now I have some additional tools around subconscious mindset work and processing emotions. So we definitely do that if the person's open to it. Because I find that if you really dig deep underneath people's stress and anxiety, it's usually like, I don't feel loved or I'm not part of a group or something like that. And if we can kind of look at that and reprogram that, then a lot of other things fall into place. So while I think meditation and walking and deep breathing and EFT and journaling are all incredible stress management tools, I think after the past training that I've just gone through really truly if we want to like change the programming we have to get into that and understand why am i driven to make choices this way and is there a better choice for me now is this choice something that i've done before that would have served me really well where i'm just gonna go so hard so that no one can ever for example i don't know no one can ever make fun of me or i can't be wrong because i worked so hard and therefore i'm safe okay that could have been a really cool tool to use but maybe it's not what's good for me now So I think it's deep. It gets a little deep and we need to address it because it will drive dysfunction over and over again. So it's not necessarily because there's definitely a narrative out there culturally, don't stress, de-stress, like stress less, do more. And it feels like almost impossible because you're like, well, stress is inevitable, right? And then there's a narrative of, well, manage your stress. And it's like, well, what does that mean? So what kind of tools do you give your Hashi ladies? Can you kind of talk through maybe one of them? Okay. So I try to help them to identify when they're in fight or flight, first of all, because I'm sure anyone listening to this has probably realized like, oh, I spent the whole day not breathing, right? Like I I was breathing up here at the top of my chest or I was whatever your manifestation of that is. So what I, the first, I think the very first thing is that in order to be a resourceful person, we have to be in a resourceful state, So our state has to be, we have to be in rest and digest. If we're in fight or flight, we're just running off adrenaline and cortisol and we're we're not able to make as many good decisions. So I actually start with like somatics and breath work, anything that's going to drop them out of their brain, which is what I often need and into their belly. So like, just as an example, I might have them do, they're really angry. I might have them do shaking, like full body standing up and shaking so that they can get that energy out of their body. Or we might do something like lion's breath. If you've ever taken a yoga class with breath work and you stick your tongue out and you breathe, I might even have them do like some butterfly taps, which is where you kind of lock your thumb to the center and you tap on either side of your chest. Um, The bilateral stimulation just really helps people to relax. Another one is just like a four-part breath. So you breathe in for four, hold, and you release. And you just do that until your body can kind of come back to homeostasis. From there, we can make a lot better decisions. So sometimes it's just getting ourselves to down-regulate, I find. If someone's kind of constantly in that place, that's where we would do some deeper emotional processing and kind of get into why and then help them with tools to reprogram. But I think oftentimes it's just getting the person to calm calm their nervous system down. What would be considered maybe a quote unquote kind of major life stressor that it's a different reaction? So for example, we could be stressed out about our kid falling, but they're okay versus like, I have cancer kind of thing. Like, you know, that's like, that's like a whole different level of stress. 
Yeah. Do you approach that in like a different way? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that gets missed a lot is there's like kind of this gaslighting of like, oh, just don't feel your feelings or something. Mm, yeah. I think that there has to be time to process. So right now, I honestly, I give a lot of my clients like a lot of, I'm just like amazed that they can get up in the morning sometimes. Like one of them is <laughs> going through a divorce, another person, you know, totally. lost a family member. Like there's just so much that this life can bring us. And so it's never about like gaslighting that, right? Like what's going on for you? Can you really feel that emotion? Do you need to scream into the pillow? Do you like, seriously, like I had a coach once, tell me to open up my window in New York City and scream. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the grandma on the street was really <laughs> freaked out, but it was good for me, right? So it kind of depends on where the person is in the journey. Because if if you're going through something like cancer or you lost someone, you might not be in a place where you're ready to move to that, move through it. Like there's always going to be a space where you need to kind of be in it and feel it and then move past it. So I think it would just depend on whether the person was ready to go to that place where like, have I felt this enough to move to the next level? Not that I would never have grief again or feel these feelings, but more like, is this still the emotion that's serving me now? Right? Because I think that there is validation and benefit in feeling those feelings, right? And we never want to take that away. So I guess it kind of depends on the person. (laughs) Yeah. Have you found that that kind of work around stress without maybe changing other things, which I know is not like your approach necessarily because you're like nutrient density, gut health, and the stress. Have you found ever though that if someone is working on that stress piece that there'll be a shift in lab work and maybe antibodies or serum levels Yeah, that maybe they weren't compliant on the nutrient density and the gut health? And you're like, Yeah, I would say there are some people that come into the program and they don't touch the stress piece, right? Because you can leave a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But they do all the other stuff. And then they're like, hmm, I feel better, but I still have this, 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 and this. I'm like, okay, right? No judgment on that, but this is why, right? We didn't do that part. You didn't participate in that. And then I have the people that go full hog and they're like, I want to do the emotional processing. I want to do the stress management. I want to do whatever it is I need to do. And they're walking away in their own assessments with their symptoms either completely gone or greatly, greatly reduced across the board. And not just in a physical sense, right? I mean, I find with the work that I do that this is empowering women to stand up for themselves at work, to create boundaries with their partners, to raise children in a way that feels empowering for them. Like there's all these different ways it impacts. I mean, that's where I would say I see the difference. And I have somebody who just signed up for just the emotional stuff and the stress management recently. And because it was so clear that until she had belief in herself and worthiness and belief that she could feel better, that it wouldn't really matter what lab tests we ran. Right. Mm. So I will let you know (laughs) how she does. So curious. Sophie, you are doing such important work in this world. Where (laughs) can people find you? Because you do have a podcast. (laughs) I I do. And you were just on it. Yeah. Yes, um, the podcast and website and Instagram and all the things is She Talks Health. That's the the company name. So She Talks Health podcast. You can listen to it on any podcast platform. And there's a bunch of thyroid stuff in there. And if you are looking for deeper support, you can always go to the contact page on the She Talks Health website and reach out to me. I also have like a $22 thyroid masterclass where I go a little bit deeper into my framework. So that one's really good. And you can just always reach out to me on Instagram. Yeah, amazing. And you also are going to share a freebie, right? Like a thyroid health guide with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a freebie for the thyroid community because I love you guys so much. Yeah, the thyroid health guide, it just 
talks through some of the steps that I did at the very beginning because, you know, you were talking about like, you know, you're trying to do too much, right? So these are just some of the basics that I suggest everyone starts with. And so that's available. We'll send you the link for that. And it's free, which is great. We love free things. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. I think as practitioners, right, we have our own journey and then we make it to the other side, which not a lot of people do. And then it's like, wow, we have to help people feel like themselves again and feel better than maybe what they ever imagined. And you're doing that every single day. Thank you. That's the goal. (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. It's been really awesome. I love talking about this stuff and hopefully this inspired just one person out there. Of course. If you enjoyed this episode or even learned just one new piece of information to help you on your Hashimoto's journey, would you do me a huge favor? Rate and review Thyroid Strong Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you used to listen in to this podcast and share what you liked. Maybe you learned something new. And if you didn't like it, well, shoot me a DM on Instagram, Dr. Emily Kybird. I read and respond to every single DM. I truly believe all feedback is good feedback, even the ugly comments. If you're interested in joining the Thyroid Strong course, a home workout program using kettlebells and weights, where I teach you how to work out without the burnout, go to dremilykybird.com forward slash TS waitlist. You'll get all the most up-to-date information on when the course launches and goes live, special deals and early access bonuses for myself and my functional medicine doctor friends. Again, dremilykyber.com forward slash TS waitlist. I hope to see you on the inside, ladies. <laughs>